It rests on 13 acres of earth over the very center of hell. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! Hey, I'm Leo. Hey, I'm Lauren. Hey, I'm Trevor. And, and we're, we're the Few Crew. There's, <laughs> There's only the three of us today. Yeah, a few less. <laughs> the Few Crew. Where's everybody else? They're on secret Boo Crew missions. Yes. yes. The details to be revealed yeah. in an upcoming episode. Yeah. Speaking of. Welcome to episode number 47. <laughs> on this episode, we talk with director, editor, producer David Yarovesky about his new film, Brightburn, in theaters May 24th. You'll visit the halls of Troma Films, the music video sets of some of the biggest bands in the world. He tells probably one of the coolest Wes Craven stories ever. Find out about how the superhero horror flick is a real family affair, even down to the iconic centerpiece, that creepy mask and outfit. We reveal Yarvo's secret identity next. Hey, this is David Yarvesky, and you are burning through another episode of The Boo Crew. Whatever you've done, I know there is good inside you. The Boo Crew, the freshest cuts of new stuff. Here's Sweet Screams. What have y'all been up to? Well, not sleeping a lot, <laughs> to be honest. That's, that's what I've been up to. Why? Because uh, we've got so many freaking kids and responsibilities. and. Is it my fault? No. I, well, probably. sort of. But <laughs> takes two to tango. Uh, I guess it's both of our faults. Yeah. And there's been a lot of things to watch. Yes. A lot of horror movies coming out. And we all watched, which we didn't plan this. I mean, we were all excited to see it, right? Yeah. You know what? I wasn't really excited to see it. Lauren, remember you were That's sitting right. in bed and you're like, let's watch Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile on Netflix because it just came out that day. And I'm like, eh. It was like eh. one in the morning when yeah. I had this epiphany. Yeah. See, for once, like, eh. for once in my life, it wasn't a porn title. And this title movie sucked me in. <laughs> I was like, I got to see this movie. <laughs> Extremely wicked, shockingly <laughs> evil, and vile. This case is about catching a monster. Ladies and gentlemen, I am that innocent suspect. Did you do these things? Absolutely not. It was not the movie. I thought, like, so Lauren started it up, and I was like, I'm not just that. It seemed to depressing a movie about ted bundy to me is depressing i'm into true crime okay but true crime to the extent of what that guy did i was not interested in seeing but you still watch a lot of true crime like i'd be sleeping and i'd get up to go pee when i was yeah, pregnant but that's a little different like, that's like they you know found the fiber in the blah 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 yeah but that's like <laughs> someone who's usually committed a murder or something like that this guy killed like at least 30 people that probably they know more. of probably right. more maybe in the hundreds right. right and i was just not interested in going down that depressing i thought See, it was I, I knew depressing. nothing about his story i mean I, I know the name because everybody knows his name right and i knew that he was this guy who can sweet talk women and he can sweet talk his way in and out of any situation but aside from that i really did not know much so watching this was a kind of like a breath yeah. of fresh air for me you know 
Well, I learned a lot. As soon as it started, I was like, okay, I'm in. Yeah. Because it wasn't, it, it was not what I thought at all. It's more like what you said, right? Yeah. It, I thought it was going to be something way different. Right. Yeah. Especially by the title. Yes. Which the judge had uttered those words during the trial about him. I thought it was going to be like vile, but it's interesting to see it through a different perspective and kind of envision being the girlfriend and just having this awesome guy around and just be like what the hell like this can't be the person that is so kind to me and my kid like there's no freaking way right it was based on his real life girlfriend's book called the phantom prince my life with ted bundy oh by elizabeth clofer she had a child she was a single mother he was around basically all the time you know playing the father figure for the child and all this stuff meanwhile this whole other life when he was going out and committing these vile acts she was for the most part oblivious to it that's scary that's, that's like that's, really scary yeah that's the scariest thing period of the whole story so the interesting way that this movie portrayed that situation though like you guys had said it did it through the lens of how she sees him how he through psychosis right. saw himself so you don't yeah. see i think they show one crime through that like one murder through right. the whole thing that's about it it's more about his manipulative skills and and how he would portray himself and yeah. the, the court trial which was i didn't know the very first true crime put the cameras in the yeah, courtroom the televised, yeah. yeah it was the first televised uh, trial the crazy thing about that is how he manipulated everyone i mean including his own mom i guess crazy everybody just thought to see that footage of 1979 whatever 80s 79 i think he was he was in court to see footage of these young girls in the courtroom rooting for him people would interview them and they'd be like so doesn't someone like this scare you they're like well kind of yeah but look at him he's just so handsome right he couldn't couldn't possibly have done it you know what i mean and that's uh, you know watching it and this is why i think zach efron was the perfect yes perfect person to play this because all you see is the charisma. Right. You see the celebrity, which is so important in telling the story because that's what those people saw when this court case was going down. Yeah. They just saw the celebrity. And then halfway through the movie, I'm forgetting the guy's guilty at all. I'm starting right. to yeah. think, oh, yeah. but you made me, he didn't do this. Yeah, this movie convinced me he yeah. was <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> no, yeah. like, wait, right. wait a minute. Yeah. I'm like, I almost wanted to stop in Wikipedia, like his right. whole thing. <laughs> exactly. I'm I like, did. no, no, I'm going to watch this. I'm gonna I watch did at this the end. Thing. I was like, is Ted Bundy really guilty? <laughs> <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is crazy, but that's the movie plan plays that mind right. trick on you which makes it yeah. genius yes because yes. they fuck you they right. mind fuck you yeah, they, they do, do. <laughs> that, and you escape prison twice yeah <laughs> like, you gotta what? be like pretty smart and cunning to do that yeah and that he was and it was directed by joe berlinger mm-hmm. who did the documentary that was released about ted bundy on netflix a short while ago called conversations with a killer the ted bundy tapes tapes yeah oh i started to watch that and then yes yeah, so the same person did the tapes. same so that could almost probably be a sequel to this yeah i mean if definitely if pairs it, pairs with it with the confessions and all that yeah mm-hmm. you know there was one scene in, in, in this movie where they talk about uh, i think he might have been arrested the first time or second time and there was like a news story and it said accused of mass killer or whatever so ted bundy and they were like and the fingerprints don't match and i'm like oh and he is innocent that kind of threw me for like a yeah. loop i'm like yeah. oh he's gonna get off i'm like this is crazy so i'm really fascinated with there's so many people that were murdered whether it was florida utah or colorado those, those states where it's like people went missing at, at the time and you know without technology in the 70s and all that it took him forever to investigate these murders how was he doing it like what was his motivation how do you 
turn that off because in his mind, he's just the nicest guy. He worked for a suicide helpline and was saving people's lives by talking them out of suicide. And people that worked with him said like he was just always so helpful and talk people off the ledges. And he was responsible for saving many people's lives. It's like, what the fuck? Did it cancel it out? Like, take one away. Well, I saved the, the one person. And it's interesting. He had like kind of like a certain type that he would kill dark long brown hair caucasian college student i've been all of those i might have been on his hit list if i lived back totally. in that time there's an interesting interview with liz about this book there's things obviously in the book that they didn't include in the movie there were some clues in real life that led her to make that first phone call oh, that yeah. you don't see a bowl of keys women's underwear things to of that nature that oh. you know the movie didn't didn't show but, but you just think he was cheating yeah exactly killing? exactly like, but right. if you saw it in the context of this you might be like oh well duh she said but in the interview she said ted would often tell her that he was sick he wouldn't go into what exactly that he was sick He was consumed by something he didn't understand, and he spent so much time trying to lead a normal life that he just couldn't do it. And he referred to what was going on as an entity. Oh. And that, to me, I mean, it makes me think of... R.H. Davis. Right. We're talking a case of possession here. Right. I mean, right. Paranormal. It's- I mean, when you ask what his intent was and what his motives were, he himself is saying that. I mean, just saying, go back to the R.H. Davis episode, yeah. everybody, and, and check that out. But yeah, pretty chilling. It's definitely worth checking out, I think. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Yeah. Again, I didn't want to watch it. Started watching it. Couldn't stop watching it. Yeah. But like for people that really want like a gory gonna show you at all it it doesn't i think that people that go in thinking that that's what it is are kind of disappointed right read some reviews like people not happy but it's interesting to see it from a different perspective yeah Yeah, i don't think it's ever been done before like this you're right and not only that but it doesn't change the story right it's it's just showing you through somebody else's eyes what they went through which is really unique because it still plays out historically like it did and then you realize what would you do after it starts to question like if you knew somebody like that that's scary that's the ultimate scary person right there somebody who can murder three 30 plus people yeah real life monster yeah brutally a real life monster and yet he's the sweetest next door neighbor it's always the people you don't expect also this is the acting debut of metallica frontman james hetfield yeah (laughs) yes he did great we were both like wait is that yeah, he's, he's a sheriff right? the courtroom. Yeah, sheriff he was the one, yeah or, I think he was uh, the first time he gets arrested. That's was right. By uh, James Hetfield. And then uh, yeah. the Metallica song, <laughs> The Four Horsemen, was used in a scene where Bundy's teeth were photographed in his cell. I didn't even notice that. Huh. Yeah, that was in there. Everybody yeah. go stream. Extremely wicked, shockingly, shockingly evil, and vile. Let me get back to plotting my escape here. He may look like us. He's not like us.
Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is an acclaimed director, editor, producer, and writer. He's helmed short films and dozens of music videos for the likes of Corn, Mindless Self-Indulgence, your favorite geek and gamer girls, Team Unicorn, the viral Guardians of the Galaxy Inferno video, even taking the role of a Ravager in the first film. His feature-length directorial and writing debut was 2014's genre-bending The Hive, and serves as a perfect tapestry of this creator's schizophrenic and highly stylized eye candy. He not only has the unique skills of getting all of your synapses firing all at once, be it visually or through painstaking innovative sound design, he knows how to use all this sugar to tell incredible stories. On Memorial Day weekend, May 24th, he's about to entrance us with another tale, a superhero horror film starring Jackson Dunn, Elizabeth Banks, and David Denman. It's called Brightburn. Here to tell us all about it is director David Yarvesky, a.k.a. Yarvo. Yeah. Wow. What, a, what an introduction. You made me sound very important. I was like, man, I can't wait to meet whoever he's talking about. Well, dude, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on what is likely an incredibly insane time for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wild. It's been a, yeah, it, there's a lot of this kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's fun. It's a fun thing. That's good. I, That's I get to good. come here and meet people like you guys and see crazy places like this. <laughs> well, we can't wait for the film and congratulations on Thank it, by the way. You. Thank Hi. you. I, I Just in seeing your house and this room, feel like you guys are going to like the movie. Hell yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely. Looking forward to it. Do you remember your first impactful experience with the horror genre? Oh, yeah. A hundred million percent. Yes. Oh, do tell. Okay. You want to go? To, all right. Yeah, let's we'll go, go there. Let's, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the year is 1985, and Nightmare on Elm Street is a new release at Video by the Oak in Calabasas. <laughs> <laughs> and I begged my dad to let me see that movie, and somehow, with my persuasive powers, I managed to convince him. My mom wanted to kill him, uh, but I watched that movie. It scared the shit out of me, and I wouldn't sleep in a bed for two years. Oh, I, I would only, wow. I, yeah, my mom got me this like, uh, not like a sleeping bag, but the sleeping pad. Yeah. That I could roll out on the floor because that scene when Johnny Depp got sucked into bed. <laughs> You're trying to stop that from happening. Yeah, like, yeah. Clearly. I didn't want to get sucked into my bed. So so I, I slept on the floor until I was seven. And every night, I think my mom was just so mad at my dad because she would come <laughs> tuck me in on the floor. Cut to years later, I am raising money to make this little short film. The trauma offices, Lloyd, gave me uh, like the L.A. trauma offices to, to throw a fundraiser party. And right next door to where it used to be, which it isn't anymore or there, but where it used to be is right next to the Egyptian theater. Oh, wow. And that weekend, Wes Craven was doing a retrospective. That night, they were going to play Scream. I pulled in, and I got there early, as I often do, before anyone got there. And, and uh, Wes Craven pulled in right next to me. I was like... Oh my God, this is, that's what's craving, you know? I was probably like 20, 21 years old. I don't know, I was quite young. I chased after him and I was like, oh my God, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street when I was like five and it scared the shit out of me. And it's probably why I want to make movies now. And I'm trying to raise some money to make this short film. And we're having a fundraiser over there. Come by, there's beer. And he's like, sure, kid. And he went off and went to his retrospective. And I went and sat on the stoop of the trauma offices, which was just a house because I was way too early. And I just sat there waiting by myself for a while. And suddenly I look up and I see Wes Craven walking over. 
and he comes and he sits down next to me on the stoop. Yeah. Wow. wow. And he's like, hey, man, how about that beer? And I was like, all right, let's do this. And I cracked a beer and I sat with Wes and talked about horror movies and <laughs> directing and a career as a director. And uh, it was cool as hell. And then it ended with, you know, we had a beer. We talked. Then like trauma people started showing up. Like you could see him getting a little mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of fans <laughs> right. circulating. So he wished me luck and he shook my hand and I felt something in my hand and I looked down and there were three hundred bucks no in his hand oh, that he gave wow. me and he's like, Good luck to you. And he Aww. took off and he, he uh, went to his retrospective and, and I went and made that short. That's incredible. That's, that's one of the coolest story, stories I've ever heard. Man. That's crazy, right? Wow. I have a couple of those. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I have an almost equally crazy Dick Smith story. Okay, Ooh. I gotta hear this okay, one. Okay, I wanna hear it. Oh, I'm a big fan of his makeup job, man. Okay. <laughs> well, all right. If you wanna. Okay, let's do it. So my dad makes teeth. He owns a dental laboratory. He makes teeth. Okay. 99% of the work he does is for, so I chip my tooth, someone chipped their tooth, they like replace their <laughs> tooth, right? But every once in a while, an actor will come through or a special makeup effects artist will come through and they need something really specific and he can help them. And he really likes doing that. Like he wants to do that stuff, right? And so like the one thing that he did that got really kind of recognized was he did Gary Oldman's teeth in True Romance. Nice. Oh, you know, wow. like gold. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and one day he meets this guy. He's like, hey, this guy keeps coming in. He wants me to help him with this thing. His name's Rick Baker. Do you know who he is? He's like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, at that point I was like, I think I was about 13, 14. And at the time I was convinced that I wanted to, no, I was younger. I was 11 or 12. And at the time, I was convinced I wanted to do makeup special effects for my entire life. That's what I would do all day is I would just make little things in my house or like gashes on myself or cover myself in blood and try to scare the neighbors or whatever. And I was like, Rick Baker, he's like my idol. Like, you're working with Rick Baker? I need to meet him like immediately. (laughs) And so my dad set up this meeting for me with Rick Baker. I met him and I I went to his shop and, I, you know, I was kind of my mind was blown. I was like, can I just like sweep up around the shop or something he's like you're too young we can't the legal liability we can't have an 11 year old in this office like sweeping up it's <laughs> right. not gonna happen he's like if you're serious about doing special effects you should do the like dick smith makeup school and i was like uh okay i didn't know that was a thing and and he's like here he gave me a number and he's like give it a call and if you're totally serious then you know get to work yeah and and so i, I was like okay and I was uh, a bit intimidated. So it took me about two weeks to like even call. And I picked a Sunday because I didn't want to actually talk to the person at the school because it, was, it, just, it, it all just seemed so intimidating and too big for me and too real. So Sunday, it was like a Sunday afternoon. I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to call. So I call this woman picks up and I'm like, hi, I'm calling for the Dick Smith makeup school. And she's like, oh, yeah, uh, hold on. Dick, pick up. And Dick Smith gets a little like, It was like his house. It was his home line. And he's like, hey. And he talked to me for like an hour. No way. And he talked to me, started asking me questions about like what I liked about doing it. And I was like, well, I really like setting up the shot and figuring out how it's going to go. And then like cutting it together so this goes to here and I like to and he's like man you don't want to be a makeup artist you want to be a director you're a filmmaker man you're not a makeup artist whoa he called it man he he really did call it and I was like (laughs) what and it kind of blew my mind open he's like think about it but like you know I think you're a director I don't think you're a makeup artist (laughs) and I was like 
wow, okay. And I, I got off the phone with him after, I mean, I talked to him for a very long time. If you imagine right now, like an 11 year old kid talking to you to talk to him for an hour, right. just start yeah. asking him questions. That's a hell of a thing. That is. And yeah, he talked to me for a long time. And then he told me I, I'm a director. And I was like, wow. And now I guess he was right. <laughs> That's incredible. At that point, after you had that conversation, did it seep in? Were you like, you know what? I'm a director. It, Fuck it. it. You know, it, it really kind of did. Yeah. It really kind of did. I started it because he said, like, if you want to get into makeup, you need to let all that stuff go. Right. And because it's really sculpting, mm-hmm. painting, you know, fabricating yeah. things like how are you with your hands? I can't draw. I mean, if you saw my storyboards today, they look like worse than a child drawing. I mean, they're pretty bad, you know. And I don't have any of those like artistry with my hands. I got okay at sculpting because I wanted to, but not anywhere near good enough to do this professionally. And so understanding that, and when he started to say it, yeah, it really did sink into me. I was like, you're right. I like putting the camera there and I like doing this. And I like, so yeah, very quickly, I mean, I started making scripts, shooting, editing pieces when I was 13. Oh, wow. Wow. And and so it was like shortly, yeah, it was like shortly <clears throat> after that, because at that time I was just putting a camera somewhere and like covering someone's blood and everyone <laughs> scream and run around, you know, but then after that I was like, okay, I'm going to write a script, shoot it, edit it, I'm gonna put it all together. <laughs> do you have any of this stuff from I when do, you were 13? It's so bad. It's so, <laughs> bad. it's so bad. I mean, yeah, it's everything is set to like Carl Orff, Carmina Burana, you know, that like <laughs> yeah. that like opera, everything is just so dramatic and the problem is it's all VHS, right? So it's just, yeah. it degrades. I've backed it up kind of digitally so I'd always have it, but every time I try to watch it, I'm like, man, it's boring. <laughs> so, you know, thinking of, wish uh, this on anyway. yeah. thinking of Dick Smith and is one of his most notable makeup jobs ever people think of the exorcist right yes. reagan but you go look at that movie and i say it's not reagan who do you think it is his most notable for that movie oh the demonic face that flashes on the screen See, that's another one where somebody would go to but i'm thinking max von Sido. oh interesting he was not that old in that movie right he was a younger guy the age makeup age makeup wow. was so impressive he really looked like this old man the old priest in the movie i did not even consider that <laughs> But yeah, you know, it's one of those things, right, where like there's something really showy on right. screen that's like breaking new boundaries. And so the other like more subtle character makeup just disappeared. Yeah, exactly. I think I think people just forgot that, you know, he was not this old actor. He's actually younger. Wow. But, but yeah, by I, the way, that's Rick Baker's favorite stuff. Right. I was at a Halloween party and Rick Baker showed up and I was like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing. <laughs> and he was just he did himself as I don't know how to explain it, like a weird, uncanny valley version of himself. I don't know. Oh, like, that's wild. You know, like, like it wasn't like a creature or monster or something. It was just like really subtle work that was unsettling yeah his teeth were too big his eyes were too <laughs> That's big crazy. his nose was wrong but it, like, you couldn't put your finger like on if a it. kid drew rick baker this yes, rick baker. exactly <laughs> yeah like yes that's exactly right like when they do like physical 3d representations yeah. of homer yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes, it's all yes, wrong yes. but like is rick baker yeah <laughs> and it was so weird and like he was in character all night i don't think he talked to any Anyone. He would just look at people around the room and be scary. That is wow. awesome. I want to oh. see pictures of this. Yes. I don't know how I left that party without a picture. <laughs> so what was your first foray into visual storytelling? Was it through these shorts and was it music videos that really started carving your career path into doing it and actually getting paid to do it professionally? Yeah, that's a good question. Okay, so I don't really know is the answer because I really can't remember a time before wanting to make movies in some capacity, whether it was like doing special effects or or making the actual movie. 
And so, like, you know, my dad got a, an SVHS camera in the house very early on, and it was this big, clunky thing. I couldn't even pick it up, but I could push record. <laughs> and I remember shooting with that. So, like, I was always kind of doing it, but there's always a transition when you go from someone who's just shooting things to someone who's being paid to shoot things. Mm-hmm. That was like a very strange transition for me because I was backstage at the Calling concert. You know, oh, yeah. And the yeah. Calling. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had met. Aaron wasn't they? They're related to Charles Band. Yeah, Richard I Band. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, total yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he, he became a friend of mine. I, I was backstage, and he's like, "Hey, these guys are doing my uh, internet marketing." This was called at the time internet marketing, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, come in. We need people who can operate a camera." And I, I went in and. The meet man, the meeting is so indicative of a time. <laughs> it shows how old I am now. I sat in a conference room and they, they said to me, so you can have video on the internet and we represent all these bands and we think they need videos. So they would have me come in and shoot like Good Charlotte would come in and they'd be like, hi. Make sure to sign the mailing list. Thanks for coming to our website. You know, videos like that. Yeah, to try to figure out how it all worked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I kept saying to everyone, like, no one wants to download this for 45 seconds (laughs) and wait to see Good Charlotte say, hi, thanks for coming. Right, for 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you don't want that. Like, like, it's got to be creative. Like, we have to make something creative. And I kept pushing on them and I kept doing weirder stuff with the videos I'd shoot. At the time, they were a factory, right? So. I don't know, they probably represented 100 bands at the time, and whoever was in the office that day, I'd shoot them, I'd cut something together, they'd send me footage, I'd shoot others, like, it was just... Like an assembly line. It was like an assembly line, <laughs> right. and and, wow. and I was an unpaid intern, because they, they didn't think there was any real value in, in wow. the content. Oh my was, gosh. And I was stoked, because I, oh crap, a perfect circle's coming in today, or yeah. something like that, like, <laughs> I get to film them. Sooner or later, I started to develop relationships with the label, I kept pushing them, like, yeah. Let me do something creative. Let me do something creative. And I broke them down. <laughs> right, right. Nice. And then it became long form music videos after that, I would assume. Right. Bands yeah, it, would start going. Okay. Yeah. It, it went to that. It went to long. Yeah. Like music videos. But then at the same time, I was also, I'd shoot like uh, performance videos. Like there was a band sure. dredge. Yeah. yeah. Like I shot like yeah. a, a concert of theirs. I, I shot a bunch of concerts and cut together live performance concerts. And I did that for a while and did some commercials. And all in the meanwhile, I do a couple shorts here and there. I tried to like, but shooting music videos was cool because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, I really didn't. And suddenly there's like a crew of 50 people looking at me going, what are we going to do? Wow. And I'm like, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> Just put the camera there, I guess. Like, you know, and like really learning on the job. Yeah. Stuff, you know, you know, my first video was we had 2,500 bucks and we bought short ends, a bunch of 16 millimeter short ends. And it was a hand crank 16 millimeter camera. <laughs> we could shoot in like pieces of the song at a time because we couldn't afford 400 foot mag load. So We'd be sitting there cranking. (laughs) And then I kind of grew from there. Although your two feature films are horror movies, you have done, like, as you said, lots of content that has nothing to do with horror. But you do dive into different genre looks in some of those other projects, like the MSI video for Personal Jesus with the pink vomit or uh, disembodied faces (laughs) stretching through the wall in the corn video. Then you got stuff like uh, Chantel Claret's Bite Your Tongue video. They got nothing really to do with horror. That's true. As a creator, but pop pop bang bang was pretty horrible. yes that was that was <laughs> yeah as a creator describe how you use horror non-exclusively but as a storytelling tool and why you like it so much as 
a storytelling tool? Why you go to that? Sure. The thing is, is that it's kind of baked into my mind. That's the truth. Is that like sometimes people come to me and they would know the kind of video they wanted. And I was like, okay, let's go down that path. And sometimes they'd come to me and they'd say, hey, what do you want to do here? And I'd throw out some ideas and they're just dark. You know, I just inherently a dark person and I I throw out ideas. Corn was a band that I loved growing up and I met Monkey and I did like a a video for his other band, Fear and the Nervous System. And he was like, you should come do a video for Corn." And they sent me Hater, and I was like, oh my god, this song is cool. Like, yeah. I really like this song. And, and so I just started like throwing out these really dark ideas. I mean, we probably went back and forth. and It was cool to work with them. And yeah, so we just started throwing out crazy ideas. And I struggled in commercials and music videos because people come to me and be like, hey, we want something dark. And I'd be like, dark, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. And I'd go and I'd type something up and I'd send it over. They'd be like, whoa. <laughs> Too dark. (laughs) And and I was like, you said you wanted something dark. And they're like, no, no, no. We we wanted like him to be wearing a leather jacket. Right, right. <laughs> we wanted some contrast. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I had a moment. I won't say what band, but I had a moment where they came to me and they're like, really big fans of your work. We want to do something really dark with you. And I was like, great. They didn't have a lot of money, but I was like, if we can just shoot it in this day and you just kind of let me do my thing, I'll do it for you guys. And they're like, great. And I kind of walked them through what we were trying to do and like. Halfway through the day shooting, their manager looks at me and goes, we can't show this at church. Oh, and I, was like, oh. I was like, you guys came to me. And you said you're big fans of my work. I thought you had an understanding of my work. Wow. That, that I was not going to make you a video for church. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the satanic church. Yeah, or something. Uh, yeah, I mean, just, yeah. Just, I admit it, admit it, it was Creed, right? It was, it was Creed. It was, it was a small band called Creed. So I've run into that a bunch, right? And so I always knew that, like, it wasn't the place for me. I also, to be totally honest, am just not the best music video director because there's guys out there, they're visual artists who think in that form. And there's an aspect of me that's developed that, but I do think in story. And I think in a lot of the videos that I got the most excited about, we're like story driven music videos. I did this video called Money It's Pure Evil, which which you guys would probably dig. I don't know if you guys saw it. It was a uh, very story centric. You know, I got to do some cool like story stuff and and I would always like overdo it and I'd like develop all these backstories and say how we could do a three video arc and all this stuff. Wow. No, and the label would be like, Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Just just make sure they look pretty. You know? <laughs> okay. This isn't my world. But I learned the technical art of filmmaking and that I could take a project and take it through every step and know all of the technical aspects of it back to front. You know what I mean? There right. are times when I I would do my own DI or I'd build a DI workstation for myself. I understood all the code. Like I just became a technical wizard in terms of all of that side of it, which now it's strange coming into directing when everyone's doing everything for you sure, and you're purely right. a, a director, but it does give me a weird edge because I can speak a very technical language. And everything's a preset now. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> I wish that were true. <laughs> <laughs> but in a way it can feel like that though, because right. I would do everything. And right. now I, at least on this movie, I didn't do everything. I had a team of incredibly talented and smart people around me right. who were doing a lot of things. And so it took a lot of the burden off of me. I didn't have to worry about how we were 
what our data pipeline was. I mean, you know, that's lame stuff, but it's stuff I always had to worry about. Sure, right? sure. Right. Going through that whole video making process and doing this like run and gun shoots where you're thinking really fast and having to work with a crew, cranking out ideas and probably limited time with limited budgets. Then you get, you're working on the hive, right? <laughs> you did that film very quickly. Oh my God. And I, I want to know if anyone who hasn't seen it, it's a brilliant film. Thanks. It's got kind of a social commentary about the, uh, the, you know, really the interconnected social media age. Yeah. It's a really cool way of looking at it too. So I, I recommend everybody go out and check it out if you haven't already. I want to talk about the importance of your unique crew too, that you formed around that, that lets you work at the speed of thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a team of people who I became very close with and they went video to video to video. I think we did about 80 videos. What, 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 one day I was reading about Fincher because he's just, just awesome. Yeah. I was reading about Fincher <laughs> and it was like, David Fincher has done 60 music videos. And I was like, what? <laughs> uh, of course, they're like Janet Jackson and Madonna and these legendary videos. But the moment that I had heard that I had probably done more music videos than him, yeah. it, it kind of blew my mind open. So, so, yeah, we had done about 80 music videos together. And then this movie, The Hive, comes up and they're like, hey, you got a half a million bucks, 17 days. What are you going to do? And so fortunately, I had a, a production designer who I had known since I was 13. Actually, I went to camp with. He was a counselor at a camp I went to. A director of photography I'd been working for 10 years. Uh, Mike D, who shot Brightburn. Cool. And my now wife, who was not my wife when we made The Hive, but she's a costume designer that I met on a music video many, many years ago, 12 years ago. The four of us were like this core. And then there were people like around them that I'd work with a lot of Mike's crew, the gaffer and the first AC and all those guys. were just guys like video and video, video. And so we all had this really like fast communication. You know, Mike... And I, sometimes we don't even need to speak. He just knows what I want. That's he knows, great. He knows. <laughs> that was all really helpful, right? And the Hive was, <laughs> I was, if I hadn't had the crash course of making all those videos for a decade, the Hive would not exist. Because there was a point in shooting the Hive where I realized we had backed ourselves into a corner and we had an hour and a half to shoot the climax oh, of the movie. Oh my God. Oh my shit. And, and, and to put that into perspective, like James, when I started working with James, he started really like mentoring me. I started calling it the James Gunn filmmaking school because he believes that you shoot the third act. You spend half your time just shooting the first two acts and half your time shooting the third act. Oh, Got wow. it. So to look back and think about shooting it in an hour and a half, at least the climax in an hour and a half was crazy. <laughs> I went to Mike and I said, hey, this crew is holding us back. We need to ditch the crew. We need to grab two actors. We need to go into those woods and we need to just start filming stuff. And that's the only way we're getting to the end of this movie. Wow. It's the only way we're, we're, we're going to have a movie wow. at the end of this. And so we did. The crew went to lunch. They started setting up a shot or that we told them we were going to go shoot something over there to set it up. We grabbed a camera, the actors, and we snuck into the woods. And we started shooting. <laughs> oh Everyone my was like, God. what's happening? <laughs> Everyone was freaking out, but we just kept rolling. Just kept slamming new cards in. We're shooting on a red. Rolling, 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 rolling. Okay, go over here, do this. Go over here, do this. Go over here, do this. We're on a wider lens. We don't need a first AC. Just shoot it. Shoot it, shoot it. <laughs> oh it's crazy. But we wouldn't have had a movie. Like We just wouldn't have had a movie at the end. Very different experience on this movie, right? Where I'm surrounded by a crew of very well i guess i'm jumping ahead because you're asking me questions that are on a timeline but 
But it is funny right now to sit here and think back on how far <laughs> those two experiences are, you know? Did you meet uh, James back in the trauma days? No, or, or, uh, no, I didn't. But in a weird way, yes. I had friends who I had met through trauma that knew him. That was at a party and he was there and we started playing poker and we just like were just instantly pal. Oh, cool. It was it's re- it's really not an exciting story except for. That he stepped in dog shit that night. And <laughs> I like to make fun of him about that. But serendipity right there. Yeah. <laughs> but the funny thing about that was I saw an episode of E Entertainment Television or something way back in the day of James and James was like on it and I was like, those guys are cool. And, and then I met Troma and and we missed each other, but to turn around and then be friends later it was very weird to realize that he was the guy right. in those videos, <laughs> right. I, I didn't know when did you and sean and the rest of the gun family started coming together well i met james we got along and then he said my brother has these parties every sunday which was like a wine and cheese it was like a weekly like come hang out i don't know watch the sunset and chat with people and so i went a couple times i was like we just felt like kindred spirits like james and i you know we right. became quite close very quickly and then we've been very close pals ever since Oh, very cool. Who did the special effects on the hive? Because that was some crazy stuff. Right? They did a really good job. They did. <laughs> I was super impressed and super like I needed Purell after. I was yeah, yeah, it was babe. very grimy. <laughs> when you consider the budget that we had yeah. for those effects and then what we managed to pull off, it was impressive. Gary, the guy who he designed Pinhead. Uh, oh, Ton and Cliff. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ton and Cliff. I went to Fangoria's Weekend of Horrors in like 96 or something and waited in line to get his autograph. Oh, that's wild. I'm sitting there working with him, but he was on like a Fincher movie or something. So he sent some other guys, this guy, Daniel Madden, McMadden. So he's going to. He probably listens to this because he loves horror and he's probably <laughs> screaming his name at the speaker right now. He was a talented dude. It was a good group of guys that worked with Gary and came on. And it's funny, like every time I do a movie, I feel like I have ideas that I have to take these swings on where I'm like, I think their eyes should go wonky. Like, sure. yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like one eye should go up and one eye should go off to the side. Like that's how they're connected to the hive. And everyone was like, what? <laughs> that's gonna look stupid and i was like no that's gonna really define the visual aesthetic of the movie right. in a weird way yeah so we had these contacts designed and they were a nightmare we were told that they would fit like kind of everyone and that we could do this like cleaning process in between each time someone wore it and oh no. wow that oh, was wow. wrong they did eye measurements it only fit gabby oh and she's totally blind with them on because it's <laughs> like a hundred percent blind yeah i have probably a thousand or two thousand photos of me taking selfies with her while she was blind <laughs> yeah she has no idea that she's even in a pro- <laughs> well I, I gave them all to her afterwards yeah, yeah. Like me picking my nose that's hilarious I, you know i would hang out with her and try to like keep her company because it can become very weird and claustrophobic yeah because you're just in the dark sure you know oh, and you hear yeah. sounds and so i would just kind of sit there and I'd be like i'm here I'd say I'd, I'm taking some pictures, and then at the end of the day, I'd show the pictures I took. And but yeah, wow, I'm totally down memory lane right now. That is so I've, funny. We'll get to Brightburn now. It leads right into it. So James Gunn produced it. His brother Brian, correct, and his yep. cousin Mark, correct, wrote it. Correct. Take us on the journey of how this project and how you found out about the project and how you guys all teamed up and decided, you know what, this is the one we're going to do together. Sure. Yeah. Look, I think that if you had. James in here, you'd probably hear a slightly different story. And if you get Brian and Mark in here, you'd probably hear a slightly different story. And that's kind of because all of us were sort of gestating on the idea of 
dark superhero stuff in our own ways. I was at James's house and Brian and Mark came to me and they told me they were working on this script and I wanted to read it. James and I were looking for a project for a long time. We wanted to do something together. I read that script and I was like, I think this is the thing. And so we got together and kind of synced up on what it is. And then we developed it for about six, eight months. Just really leaning into the horror really is sort of the direction that we push it is going just full horror and, and really telling the superhero tropes through the horror lens. That makes any sense. Very yeah. cool. <laughs> it was really cool because obviously James and I are quite close. He officiated my wedding a couple days after we got done shooting. Oh, no way. Aww, that's awesome. That's so cool. And Brian and Mark and I are close. And Simon Hat, who works with James, he was one of my groomsmen. And Mike D, the cinematographer, is one of my groomsmen. Obviously, the costume designer was my bride to be. So it was a very mm -hmm. like family oriented set. It came together in this very weird way, right? Because when you're a filmmaker, you're going around town and you're meeting people and you're sitting around going, hopefully this goes or maybe this will go. And you have all these projects, all these things that could happen here, could happen here. And then this thing just comes together and it was just like, boom, we were just going. Like we're, we're doing it and you're like, holy shit, it's happening. You're oh. on set. <laughs> well, because, you know, James had at the time this very narrow window between Guardians 2 and 3. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it was like, if we're going to make it, it's got to be right now. Let's go. Because once he's making guardians three he, he yeah. can't be attentive to this you yeah. know he's a guy who who becomes fully immersed in the thing he's working on that's why all of his stuff feels so rich and so intelligently conceived because he is totally submersed in the things he works on so the inspiration for the story for this movie is it a very is it like a smallville type origin story of like the man of steel superman well i think that the idea the key idea right is to play with just superhero tropes right to explore superhero mythology but to sort of call it out as santa claus is not real you know as <laughs> right. as like if you were to just start handing people superpowers the belief that they would use them for good is a fairy tale you know and right. if you find an alien a baby alien that crash lands in the woods run for your life because that, <laughs> <laughs> he is not here for good there is no way he's here for good and so i thought that was fun and a cool kind of story to tell yeah the first um, time that trailer dropped i was like whoa what's this you know I'm like this looks really i'm intrigued it looks a little bit dark you know but that, then that, by the way but that's then my that, design really well yeah that, yeah because when we first started talking about making the movie the first words i started saying was cloverfield cloverfield Field, Cloverfield. Uh, and I was like, there was no blurb that said, hey, J.J. Abrams and Matt Reeves are going to make a fun take on a giant monster movie <laughs> yeah, that's right. in a found footage war way. Right. There was none of that, right? All of a sudden, the trailer dropped and yep. you saw what they were making, this sort of like disaster horror right. found footage movie. It was like super intense and visceral and exciting. And so I said to everyone, Cloverfield, 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 everyone needs to shut up. No one needs to say anything. Don't tell anyone anything. <laughs> Nothing. I had 150 people at my wedding, which was four days after we were done filming. Oh my movie. god! Wow. And at which, by the way, don't ever recommend doing that. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> we're talking about stress. Yeah, it was a bit stressful, a stressful time. But the point of that is that maybe 10 people at that wedding knew what I had filmed when I went and filmed it. Like the secret was so tightly kept, so that we always knew that there was be a fun moment in the future in which. We could drop this trailer and people like you right. would have no idea this movie existed. And then all of a sudden 
it's just a sucker punch like wow what did i just want <laughs> you right. know, that, that was the plan right, right? right you make a plan and then who knows what happens but yeah. that's what we would all tell each other and then we were really kind of delighted to see that people responded in the way that <laughs> we thought we would respond if we saw that trailer right, right. you know well i'll tell you then that red band trailer dropped the clip i mean and yeah. i was just like oh shit Talk about body horror. I mean, you know, people freak out because it's like, oh, I don't want to, you know, see yeah. anything like gross with teeth and blood. And no, no, no. How about the eyes? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's gross you out. Let's get, we'll, get, we'll get you with the eyes. Why not? Let's do Why it. Not? Also, with that scene, I think really, yeah, it's a really good example of your work and certain things that have become a trademark of your style. And one of those is you playing with sound. You could see it in the hive with the layered voices of yeah. the infected and how there'd be like a double male voice under a woman's voice and then a yeah. whisper and pitched up and down. And so you play with this injury that takes place in the red band scene <laughs> and you go into the character's head voice mm. for a few seconds. Then mm. you, you see the POV, you see everything yes. through the injury, yeah. right? The camera yeah. takes on the, the view of the injury and you hear her head voice. Cool. It's so cool. What, yeah. Discuss the importance of playing with that for you because it is something that you did on the hive and you're doing it here. It's so unique and so cool. Yep. Oh, thanks. It's what, you know, <laughs> It's what happens when gamers make movies. There you go. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Because yeah. it's funny because there are a lot of people have been like, oh, that red thing is super cool. But anytime you're injured in a game, the screen might turn a little red here. Yeah. It might turn yeah. a little right here. And so in the process of doing it, it, it just became a kind of like, oh, well, this is a POV. Maybe we can mess up this part of the eye. Maybe there's a very intricate color story that's told in the movie, you know, and maybe after the movie comes out we can talk about it because i don't want to spoil stuff right. but, yeah, but yeah. Red, red was you know an integral part of it and so finding fun ways to motivate red into the world or to see red or to use red and so like seeing through your bloody eye right. is like yeah. a cool way to do that but yeah yeah the response to that scene has been fun it's gonna be fun to see in the theater that's what yeah. it's gonna be I'll, I'll tell you like the movie is one of those movies that you want to see opening night with the biggest crowd you yes. can see because the audience makes a lot of noise yeah yes. you yeah. know it's not like a silent movie there are the audience is not silent you right. feel the audience get scared laugh a little because it was okay get scared <laughs> gasp, freak out because there's a piece of glass in someone's eye right. you know, like, like, that is definitely the movie that we made and it's like you know people who don't even like horror even though they won't love that moment the experience of going and covering your eyes and hitting your boyfriend or hitting, not hitting your girlfriend, but, 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 you know, playfully covering your eye, whatever you're doing, it's all part of the experience. You know what I mean? Right. I think that's where the fun is in the movie yeah. is sort of. I love the mask. I just wanted to talk about that real quick. Like, yeah, we got it on costumes. TV right up here. We got a picture yeah. of it. Yeah, um, it looks amazing. So did you keep anything from the movie? <laughs> what a convenient question, right? <laughs> just, just throwing it out there. I might have some masks and capes. Ooh, oh, that's great. Oh we know where God. you live. <laughs> <laughs> the outfit, I went to Autumn. I told her I have a bit of a tall order to ask of you. I said, you know, I want you to design something here that so a lot of my friends are collectors like you guys yeah. and maybe not to the extent of you guys but the, <laughs> you know, you know the, a lot of them have shelves with toys on it and stuff and i just kept having this visual image in my mind of like freddie 
and Jason and Leatherface and all these like iconic horror characters. And I wanted Brandon to to be able to sit on that shelf one day and have such a unique design that he could be distinct, but also feel like part of that iconography. I mean, that's the dream, right? So I said, we got to design something like that, right? It has to sort of play with the superhero DNA, right? right? So it needs to be a cape, it needs to blow in the wind. It also it needs to be a, a play on when kids just wrap their blanket around their back and just play superhero, right, you know? Right. And it has to be the kind of thing that, like, people would want to dress up as for Halloween. Yeah. You know? Definitely, yeah. I, I, I listed out these demands, and I was like, so that's it? So just design an incredible yeah. character. <laughs> right? <laughs> character. And, and we went back and forth, and James had some thoughts, and I had some thoughts, and, you know, we did the normal sort of, like, development process, but she champion this thing in a way that was i mean it like she did it and every time i drive by a billboard and see his mask his face on a giant billboard or on the side of a building plastered and posters like i am so happy for her i'm so proud yes. of her like Aww. every like for real like it makes me so happy to see she nailed it yeah. like yeah. seriously yeah, she did. nailed it she should be so proud <laughs> yeah she should be so proud yeah she did it that's this year's Halloween costume right there for yeah. everybody. That's going to be, yeah, knock on yeah, wood. yeah. I mean, the thing was, there was a conversation that started early on just amongst friends, amongst people around, around me who knew the core people that I can trust with a conversation or something. And, the, you know, and even Autumn said to me early on, like, do you think a superhero can be scary? People aren't scared of superheroes, you know? And I had this image in my head from the first time I read Brian and Mark's script. One of the first things I said to James when I said I wanted to make this was that I had this image of him floating out this window. It's in the trailer. Yeah, yes, it's yes. terrifying. Yeah. It's, it's creepy. so yes. creepy. Yeah. And I had this image of him flying out this, bro- shooting through a broken window, seeing him flying out there. And I kept saying, I'm going to shoot him like uh, John Carpenter shoots Michael Myers. Like, I'm going to shoot him on this wide lens and he's just going to be just empty, just watching and just out there watching yeah Yeah. and and i just believed that i could see it i mean i couldn't see this design but i could see conceptually how terrifying it would be to have this thing floating out there watching you you know and this cape blowing in the wind and like twisting that image and so that was the challenge that was the bar because there were people looking at me saying i don't know is that is that scary i don't know is it Maybe it'll, it may, might not ever be scary. It might be a good movie. might not ever be scary. And I think it's scary. Yeah. yeah hell it's yeah. definitely scary. <laughs> yeah. It's scary to me. That would bum me out if someone yeah. was like that watching me. I'd be scared if I saw that. Yeah, I'd be like, fuck. <laughs> I was thinking about this. How do you walk the line between having this be a superhero horror film versus having it be a supervillain origin story film? You know what I mean? I think there's a difference. There's absolutely a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. That's a really good question. I'll respond with a question. Is Silence of the Lambs a thriller or a horror movie? It's horror. I would say horror. Yeah. See, I would say it's a thriller. I would definitely not say it's horror. I would say the last 10 minutes of it is a horror movie. Okay. Because you're in the perspective of someone who's scared going through the house and you're scared. For most of the movie, it's really a mystery. It's a thriller. I guess there's a couple... Minutes when Hannibal's breaking out. Yeah. That could be kind of horrorish. But for me, the way I kind of put horror together in my mind is that you're in the POV of someone who's experiencing fear and you as an audience member are experiencing fear through them. Gotcha. And so it can be a superhero origin story as long as you're experiencing it 
through the perspective, through the POV of someone who's terrified <laughs> of what that origin is becoming. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that, to me, is the way in, right? If you want to tell a horror movie, tell any story you want, just tell it from the POV of someone who's terrified of it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Tell their story, because they're experiencing this world as, as a horror movie. And so that was sort of the goal. So in terms of casting, we have like Elizabeth Banks and uh, Jennifer Holland and Jackson Dunn. And where did the idea come from to get these people together? Because some of them are known for comedy. It's not really horror. You know? I know. I know. Someone said that to me. I, I never thought about this. Someone said it to me on set while we were shooting. They're like, oh, everyone's kind of a, a comedy person. But, I, you know, one of my favorite movies ever is Punch Drunk love is adam sandler giving this like amazing performance that's very serious and and very grounded and real and and weighty and you know like comedians have it in them there's like a darkness in them for me i read the script the only person i can imagine was elizabeth huh. i saw her oh, interesting playing the part and i believed that she would play the part I just believed it. I just, I knew that she would. I had met her a couple times. I knew she likes the genre stuff. She likes horror. Oh, she no way. She loves this stuff. Really? Yeah, she thought it was so cool what we were doing. Yeah. I had this gut feeling that she would do it, you know? And David, he came in, I met with him, and it was like two days after his son was born. And he came in, and I met with him, and he did the scene for me, and he was so, like, raw and pure, and it was like there. He had so much to pull from. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. He yeah. just had a baby. Father? You exactly. Know? Yeah. yeah. He's got a lot of material. <laughs> and I was like, oh, tired. Oh, my God. There's so much weight to that. You yeah. know? And, and, and David's a guy who, like, this is a family who lives on a farm. David's a big guy. And, and, yeah. and he, like, he looks like a guy who could pick up a log or, yeah. you know, hit some wood with an axe. Like, <laughs> yeah. He looks like a, a guy. You know, he's like a guy's guy. Like, right. And I really like that about him because, you know, often you, you see a farm, you see someone who lives on the farm and they've got like a manicure and they, you know, they, they don't look of that world. Yeah. Right? He looked of that world. It really felt real to me that he would play the dad. And then, and then it's, I mean, just the way he came in and performed. It's done. That's it's you. <laughs> right. It is you. Nice. On Jackson, we got something like two hundred tapes, two hundred submissions of child actors really? who auditioned, and this was the first one we all watched. Not weird. That's wow. Weird. wow. Did you watch any of the others? Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we, yeah. I mean, I, I felt a, a certain responsibility to yeah. everyone who sent in their tapes, but we saw that we stopped and we were like, "Holy crap! This guy's." great like wow. like we, we were just kind of blown away yeah. by what he was able to do and then i met him and his ability to go creepy sort of empathetic to see all the sides of him you right. know and i just believed you could build a movie around he's a guy who could carry a movie how old is he i think he's 15 now well you gotta make that sequel because you know 15 16 <laughs> goes by quick do you see building a Yarvoniverse <laughs> yeah. uh, it would be like a Yarvon Yarvoniverse yeah, yeah, I guess yeah yeah Gunvo Gunvo Gunvoniverse I don't know I mean listen I, who knows what the future holds you know yeah, what I mean yeah. like I really did just finish the movie like a very short time ago wow. you know like uh, I think two or three weeks was the, when I finished the last of the Atmos mix. Oh, so, wow. You know, the idea of 
what's next or what you know it seems what's next is we're gonna watch this movie in theater yeah yes and then i'm gonna sleep (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna play some overwatch (laughs) nice get some tender greens (laughs) get some tender greens (laughs) and then fly all over the world yeah talk about it (laughs) maybe (laughs) obviously any opportunity to work with james or mark brian or any of them again is would be incredible because you know it's like working with your family that's so awesome i also love that man all that that collective that you've surrounded yourself with how important do you think that is to you of surrounding yourself just as a creator with people with like-minded sensibilities because like you and james gunn and like even going off to little jimmy urine mindless self-indulgence like everyone there's sort of a shared aesthetic of just bending whatever genre you guys are all in you guys are all genre benders right yeah i mean i am fortunate i am surrounded by a bunch of really creative but grounded good people you yeah. know what i mean i mean yeah everyone knows that i'm friends with the guns obviously because we're making this together and and that but we were talking before the start of jeremy slater who created the exorcist yep. yeah written a bunch of movies there's a very close friend of mine gary doberman who wrote it. Yes, I, I was supposed to see him right before this, but he's working away on Annabelle, so he had to. That's so great. He had to push it a week. But yeah, I, I am surrounded by people, like-minded people, who are just good people. And I think what it's done, at least for all of us, is it's kind of kept our feet on the ground because it's it's a weird thing. You know, you have this idea, you shoot some stuff. And then all of a sudden it's on billboards all over the world. Right. And and all of a sudden it goes from like, you know, I edited the movie in in a room about this size. Right. You know, I'm living in that room for about a year and no one's seen what we've been working on. Right. So the movie was this big for a year. And then you blink your eye and it's all over the world. It's coming out in every city across the world. Such a cool thing. It's a wild thing. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I guess I'm just surrounded by people who there's just none of that weird hollywood stuff it's just we're kind of we all just get online and play overwatch with each other yeah 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 bunch of ravagers you know it's 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 totally true like i have a memory of the day that we shot the goth ravager stuff yeah and it was they were doing reshoots on the disney lot and i was in my last couple days cutting the hive and james was like come down come down i want you to be in the movie <laughs> so I go down there and I didn't know what I was in for. I, I knew nothing about Guardians at the time. I mean, I talked to James. He'd tell me things are good, but like Marvel security is so tight. He couldn't show me anything. Right. Like I had no idea what he was working on. And, and I get there and it's just like, there's Rooker and, <laughs> you know, like there's Sean. And like, I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who like, I really love. And we're on the Disney lot. That's right? so surreal. And yeah, there's, you know, hundreds of people just like working and I'm like, who let these assholes <laughs> be in charge of this? Right. How did this happen? Right. You know, and it really, it really kind of felt like I had this really surreal moment where I came out of my body and I was like, we're a bunch of like weird, artsy, creative weirdos. And we're like on the Disney lot shooting a massive movie. Right, exactly. What the hell is happening? Like the world is upside down. And it, yeah, and in the scene, like I'm an extra. All I do is like walk past the camera but in the scene like we're being like tough you know yeah. you know we're, we're standing behind rooker and he's being the head of the ravagers <laughs> right. doing very important tough stuff <laughs> and i couldn't stop smiling because it was 
making me so happy <laughs> yeah to see you know i'd never seen james you know i saw james on super you right. know like his super reshoots i I wasn't there when he was shooting Super. It was it was in Shreveport or something. It was in Shreveport. He's working with this camera team. Or I mean, they built this giant like alien landscape. God, it's as big as it gets, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As big as it gets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was such a weird moment. That is so awesome. Oh, you know what? I'm going to tell you about another weird moment. Yeah. About a bunch of assholes <laughs> who, who ended up shooting something on that scale before I made this movie because this movie really started in the Guardians two post-production okay because i was working on that guardians inferno music video yes oh david hasselhoff right yes 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 Yes. classic and i i had i had this really surreal moment because you know we're just in the process of making this thing right right and it'd been a while since i shot things been a while since i got like the band back together so to speak (laughs) and i start to look around and i'm like wait this is the entire crew of the hive and we're working on this thing we're working on this like Disney project. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there's like all these huge stars, you know, like Zoe is yeah. there right. and Karen's there. Right. And Brooker, yeah. Yeah. So, Chris you know, Pratt hanging Pratt. out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like biggest stars in the world. And they're all like here. And it's like the guys who were slumming it with me making a, a half a million dollar movie the hive where everyone's just vomiting tar yeah. <laughs> and it was such a surreal moment and i had the same kind of thing where i was like wow they let a bunch of assholes in here <laughs> that's awesome man i love those stories it's so great once again congratulations yes. on briper man we can't, can't wait, wait to see it thank you we're stoked opens everywhere memorial day weekend dude, dude. again congratulations and thank you so much for yes. being here thank Thanks. you we really appreciate it Thanks, guys. so awesome <laughs> Come to the sound of my voice. No, You're safe no, now. No, was the Brew Crew Podcast, episode 47. Special thanks to our guest, David Yarabeski. Follow him at David Yarabeski on Instagram, and if you're listening to this at time of release, let's go see Brightburn in theaters everywhere this weekend. It looks amazing. Till next time, the Brew Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo the Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tahada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Bye.